Hi, my name is James. The New Testament reading is found in the Acts of Apostles, chapter 10, verses 36 through 41. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and hearing everyone oppressed, healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and he allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. The word of the Lord. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin today? God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning as we hear these words that you would do something inside our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn Packiam. I have the joy of being the pastor here at New Life Downtown. Welcome. It's so great to have you with us on Easter Sunday morning. You all look fabulous. We should all dress up like this all the time. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, We live in a world that is constantly shaped by news and notifications and alerts. And if I'm totally honest with you, I'm actually a little bit addicted to my phone. Not because I'm important, but because I just have this feeling that what if someone's trying to get a hold of me? Or what if someone tagged me in an Instagram? What if someone tweeted at me? I mean, I just got to be available, right? So maybe you don't suffer from the same addiction, but we are inundated with notifications and alerts. Something new is happening. This thing is happening. This thing is happening. And oh my goodness, I need to check it. I need to find out. There's breaking news all the time. And yet, When was the last time you actually heard good news? When was the last time your phone was blowing up because something good and groundbreaking had happened either to you or in the world? I think back about the moment about 13 and a half, almost 14 years ago when my wife Holly and I found out that we were pregnant with our first child. And I remember the joy of that moment. I think about the moment I received the email saying that I had been admitted into graduate school. I think about the moment when I was notified that I had passed my dissertation defense. I think about all of those moments when you open up something in the mail and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is great news. Yesterday I took my car into the shop and my phone rang a few hours later. They did not have good news for me. And sadly, good news is remarkable because it's not typical. Sadly, we remember the moments of good news mostly because all of life is just sort of normal, if not sad and difficult and tragic. We live in a world that is actually full of bad news. And as if to add insult to injury, we now find out we're prone to fake news. You know, there's robots posting things on Facebook or whatever. We don't even know what's real. So is it even possible that there is good news that is also true news? Now, this may surprise you, but Christians call this message about Jesus 
the gospel. And the gospel literally means good news. In fact, it's not a churchy word. It's not a religious word. It's just a word from everyday culture that just means good news. Now, that may be the last thing you think of when you think about Christianity. Good news? Excuse me, that's not my experience. And maybe some of you recall some early memories of being, you know, forced to go to church and sitting there in the seats, and all of a sudden these people were droning on, and they all looked so sad. They didn't look like people of the good news. They looked like people who were just, took, you know, delight in sort of beating themselves up, telling each other how bad you are and how miserable you are. Like, oh, this is not good news. And so our impression of Christians in the world is not that these are people with good news. Our impression is these are people who want to scold the world and shame people and beat people down. And so when you say, excuse me, are you serious that the gospel means good news? Because that hasn't been my experience. And maybe even if you haven't had that sort of negative association with the gospel or with Christianity, maybe at best... You just sort of think of Christianity as good advice, good advice. And so you relate to Nikki's story when she said, oh, you know, religions all have something good to offer. I mean, Christianity has that one Jesus guy, and he, he said some nice things about loving people and turning the other cheek and whatnot. And then there was also this Gandhi guy, and there was this Buddha guy. And there, I mean, there's lots of advice that we can just sort of fit together. And if we just all follow the good advice of good teachers, we do better in the world. Now, that's not untrue. It's just that Christianity is much more than good advice. And the gospel is not called the gospel because God has come to give us good advice. The gospel is called the gospel because there is good news for the world. Good news for the world. When the gospel writers were writing their stories about Jesus, they called it good news. And so you might have heard the gospel according to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, and they called it the gospel according to whoever was writing it because they were saying, this is the Jesus story and it's good news. So what is it about the Jesus story that makes it good news? What is it about the Jesus story that makes it good news? News. Our first clue into this is this word for good news is this Greek word euangelion. And again, it's not a religious word. It's a normal word. In fact, hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, there was a guy named Homer who wrote the story about a dude named Odysseus. And Odysseus, when he comes back from battle and the war is over, he says euangelion. He says, gospel, good news, war is over. There's victory. And then you fast forward a few decades before Jesus was born, there was a Roman ruler named Octavian. When Julius Caesar had died, four different guys were fighting about who would take over. And when Octavian won, and it was clear that he was going to be the ruler of the known world, and he came into the city, they said, gospel, gospel, he's in charge, he's won. And so by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, the word gospel doesn't come from religious settings. It comes from news about a victory. It's news about a victory. And so when the first followers of Jesus began to say, hang on a minute, we've got news about a victory. Have we got news for you? They used that same word. 
They said, let's use that word. Let's say it's gospel. One of the guys who followed Jesus, he was a fisherman turned preacher. His name was Peter. And Peter preached a few different sermons. They're recorded in a book of the Bible called the book of Acts. It's right after our collection of gospels. And this is one of Peter's first sermons to a group of people who weren't already familiar with, uh, with, with God's stuff and Israel's stuff and scriptures and all of that. And this is in Acts chapter 10. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Acts 10, Peter stands up to preach. And he says, this is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Good news, gospel, Jesus is the king over everything. Jesus is the Lord over all. And then he goes on and he says, You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone who was oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And then Peter says, Now, this isn't some news bulletin that I just read. This isn't just some sort of news that I heard about. This is a person I saw. And I walked with. And so he says, we are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Peter conveniently leaves out the part how he denied Jesus and fled like a frightened little... I mean, he leaves that part out. Let's not go into all the details yet. But we were there. But God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us, we are witnesses whom God chose beforehand who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. It was the first Easter that changed everything. It was the first Easter that made these followers of Jesus who watched him heal, who watched him teach, and then watched him die. But when they saw him raised up again, they realized something's happened here. Something we weren't expecting, something nobody was expecting. See, as good Jews, they weren't expecting resurrection to happen to one person. This wasn't resuscitation. This wasn't Lazarus coming back from the dead. This was Jesus coming back with a new kind of body, with his body transformed, with a resurrection life that was different. And so they came to this conclusion. They said, this is the good news. This is the good news. Jesus Christ has won a great victory over sin and death, and is now Lord of all. This is the good news. They said, wait a minute, we've seen it. We've seen it. This has never happened before. We weren't even expecting it. We weren't looking for it. We weren't hallucinating because we, weren't even, we didn't even know to hope for this. And yet, God has done something remarkable. And the only conclusion they could come to as they thought through all the stuff they had heard and read and all, they said, as we're eating and drinking with him, there's only one possible conclusion. Jesus Christ has won a great victory over sin and death and is now Lord over all. Now, what does this mean for us? Why does this matter to us? Sometimes you'll get breaking news on your phone, and it's somewhere far away, a place that you have no connection to. And so you say, oh, did you hear about what's happening in such and such a place? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's bad business, that whole stuff. And then you move on, and you just kind of move on with your day because it has no bearing on you. This is not like that. This is the kind of news that changes everything and has the potential to change everything for everyone. 
And so I want to say three things to you that the first followers of Jesus knew about this good news. Are you ready this morning? Acts 10.42, Peter goes on in his sermon and he says this, he says, he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Good news. You can be free from sin. Good news. You can be free from sin. Now, some of you, your, your, your way of thinking about sin or the way that you've heard about sin from other Christians is, oh, sin, isn't that that made-up thing about morality and like a made-up business about right and wrong and it's just behaving badly and stuff? No, 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 no. The way the Bible talks about sin is it's not just actions or behaviors. Sin is talked about like a power that enslaved us. The way the Bible talks about sin is like a force in God's world that is trying to ruin everything. It's a force that's trying to poison everything. It's a virus in God's good creation that will take down the whole system. It's a virus that will bring everything unto death. Last fall, I... Um, battled for a week or so with this low-grade fever, and I thought, I'm fine, I'll just sort of take some Advil and I'll be okay, and then it kept persisting, kept persisting. Finally, I thought, I should go and see the doctor, and the doctor goes, you better go home and stay home. You've got pneumonia. I said, I don't have pneumonia. I feel fine. So you don't feel fine. She said, this is called walking pneumonia. You don't realize you're infected, but you're infected. <laughs> and I said, oh, Lord, help the people I've been uh, seeing this week, you know. And sin is like that. You think you're functioning, but you're not functioning at your best. You think you can be the person that you want to be, but why is it every time you try, you seem to slip back down again? Why is it that every time we try to, do, to, to rise above it, we just can't quite escape? Because sin is a power we were under. It's not just behavior, it's a power. And the good news of the gospel is that you can be free from sin. Now, if there's ever a group of people that struggle to believe this, it's Americans, because we are the optimists. We are the people that can conquer all circumstances. We can rise above, and actually we have. I mean, the story of the first settlers and sailing over here and then pioneering west and surviving dust bowls, it's remarkable, like, wow. Andrew Carnegie was the great steel magnate in the 1800s, early 1900s. I mean, just if there was a person who kind of embodied the American spirit of we can rise above, it was Andrew Carnegie. But Carnegie came to this moment in his life where he was wrestling with faith. He had been raised with a Scottish Presbyterian back background, and he started to question it the more successful he got. And he said, I don't know if we really need all this stuff. Do we need to deal with Jesus and a cross and, and, and forgiveness? I mean, well, why do we have to bother with all of this stuff? And Carnegie began reading some books and he began reading about evolution. He began applying evolution to religion. And Carnegie came to the conclusion that, that actually human consciousness evolves and we used to kind of need religion like this, but that's primitive. Now we just can kind of pick up the bits of it that matter and move on and we can get better. And so Carnegie wrote in his journal that his motto was going to be, all is well because all grows better. All is well because all grows 
better. This became Carnegie's motto. And he said, I don't even need religion anymore. I have such hope for the world because I've seen it now. Evolution's not just about the material stuff. It's also about the consciousness and about human beings. And progress is our way of going forward. And he said, all is well because all grows better. And a few years later, the next journal entry comes after 1914 when the Great War has happened. And Carnegie is horrified. And he writes in his journal, it says, last entry, never completed his memoirs, but his last entry says, I cannot believe the horrors of this war. Men are killing one another like wild beasts. All of a sudden, Carnegie realized things don't just grow better. And then we look at this today and we don't even need to look at World War I or World War II. We can look at the horrors all around us and to say, it seems like the more advances we make in one field, those things get turned against us in the other way. And so you have chemical warfare and bio-warfare and all of these things that we say, why is it that the human, being, the human beings can take the good that we're creating in the world and somehow twist it for evil? Why is it that things don't really seem to grow better? And the early followers of Jesus would say, because sin is a power that the world is under. Sin is a spell that had to be broken. And, Paul, and Peter, when he's preaching this, says, look, because of forgiveness, the chains that held us are now dissolved. You don't have to live as a prisoner to sin anymore. You don't have to be bound to sin anymore. Forgiveness breaks the chains. You can be free from sin. And then he goes on. He goes on in the beginning of his sermon in verse 36. He says, this is the good news for all pe the people of Israel, that there's peace with God through Jesus Christ. Peace with God. A few chapters later, there's another guy who began to preach. His name is Paul. I'll tell you a bit about Paul's story in a minute. But Paul starts preaching himself, and in Acts 13, Paul says, we proclaim to you the good news. There it is again, gospel. God raised Jesus from the dead, never again to be subject to death's decay. Therefore, brothers and sisters, know this. Through Jesus, we proclaim forgiveness of sins to you. From all those sins from which you couldn't be put in right relationship with God through Moses' law, through Jesus, Everyone who believes is put in right relationship with God. Good news. You can have peace with God. Good news. You can have peace with God. See, here's the thing. It's not like we were just victims under the power of sin saying, oh, I can't help it. We're accomplices in the crime. We're participants in it. In fact, some of the way that the language works is we were treating God like our enemy. We were living as rebels. And God is the one who, who won the great victory and then wants to win over the people who were treating him like enemies. Who does that? Who does that? Imagine when war is over, most of the time when war is over, he's like, okay, fine, now we're going to rule. We're going to impose our, our will over you now because we've crushed you in war. But Jesus isn't like that. He wins the great victory and says, you're free from sin, so now come and be in right relationship with me. You can have peace with God. If anyone knew the power of that, it would have been Paul. Paul was the guy who was so zealous, so full of devotion to God that he was supervising 
the murder of the first Christians. Paul was standing there when people stoned to death a young Christian named Stephen. And Paul said, yeah, let's go get some more. And goes to other houses and rounds up more Christians. And then one day, he's riding on a horse. And he's blinded by this great light. And he hears this voice and sees this vision that says, why are you persecuting me? Imagine. Imagine thinking you're doing someone a favor and they say, no, you've actually offended me. I don't know if you've had that kind of domestic dispute in your home where you think you're helping your wife. You say, no, this, you just made a, this worse. Paul thinks he's honoring God and God says, no, no, you've persecuted me. You are coming against me. And Paul repents. Paul turns around and Paul starts proclaiming Jesus as the Lord. Look, if anyone knew <laughs> the good news that you could have peace with God, it's Paul. If anyone knew, look, the most obnoxious, the one who was running against the stream, kicking against the Lord, if anyone could be turned and brought back to God, and it was Paul, then he's saying, well, I think we can all have peace with God. Good news you can have peace with God. Paul would later write a letter to one of his young protégés named Timothy, and Paul would say to Timothy, he would say, listen, now his grace is revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He destroyed death and brought life and immortality into clear focus through the good news. There it is again. Gospel. Gospel. He destroyed death. And then he was writing to another church in Corinth, and he says, but thank God, he gives victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the final piece. Good news, you can have victory over death. Good news, you can have victory over death. Now, in the ancient world, people were just as terrified about death as we are today. In fact, maybe more so because they didn't have medicine, they didn't have science, they didn't have stuff that could prolong life. Life expectancy rate was much lower, much younger. Infant mortality rate was much uh, higher. And so all of a sudden, people were trying to find ways to prolong their life. Historians and sociologists sometimes call this immortality symbols. They tried to find symbols that showed that they were going to live forever. And the ancient Egyptians famously would be buried, the pharaohs would be buried with treasures all around them in their tombs as a way of saying, oh, we're not done. We're going to carry all of this into the next world. We'll live in the underworld. We'll carry this on. It'll be fine. Look at all our wealth and our power. Now, it's easy for us as moderns to kind of mock the Egyptians. Oh, isn't that, isn't that cute what they used to think, you know? While we go on accumulating wealth and power and status as a way of trying to say, I'm going to live forever. We want to live and be forever young. <laughs> we have our own immortality symbols. The early Christians knew that something remarkable had happened, that if Jesus had been raised from the dead, then death has no more power for those who belong to Christ. One of the most remarkable things we see from those first few hundred years 
is how these followers of Jesus faced death with no fear. Faced death and said, it's okay. We belong to the one who's greater than death. There was a young Christian noblewoman named Perpetua. She lived a little before the 200s and into the 200s, and we have the, her diary. Perpetua lived in North Africa in a little town that is is—it's more or less modern-day Tunis. And the emperor decided in that day that he was going to try to crush Christianity, and the emperor's name was Severus. And all the Harry Potter fans in the room were like, darn it, I miss Snape again. And Emperor Severus decided to round up Christians, and so Perpetua gets arrested, and a few other Christians, and in, in those days, you didn't really have a trial first, you were thrown into jail first, and so she's thrown into prison waiting the day of her trial. And as she's there, her father, who's a pagan, comes to see her, and he begs with her. He says, Perpetua, you've just had a baby. Why don't you just say you're not a Christian? You don't have to do this. Say that you're not a Christian. And Perpetua points to a vase in the corner of the room and she says, Father, what do you call that? And he says, a vase. And she says, yes, and it can be called none other than a vase. And she says, and I am a Christian and I can be called none other than a Christian. And he begs her, he says, no, 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 listen, have some, have some pity on me and on your baby, do something. Just worship the emperor. See, Christians were arrested in those days because they were viewed as being unpatriotic. They were viewed as being not following nationalism and patriotism because they worshiped Jesus and not the emperor and not Rome. And they said, just offer the sacrifice to Caesar. You don't have, it doesn't need to be a big thing. Aren't you concerned about the future? And Perpetua says, I trust God who has power over everything. I trust God who has power over everything. Can you imagine? And then the day comes for her trial, and she's there, and other Christians are there. And she sees in the room at her trial a woman named Felicitas. Felicitas was a servant in her household. And in the first century, servants and free people don't associate. But here they are being brought in trial together because of their allegiance to Jesus above all. And they are given one more chance. Are you a Christian? Will you deny it? Will you worship the emperor? No, we will not. We are Christians. One by one, they all affirm their faith. And then they are brought, they are brought to the arena. And the scene there is gripping. The crowd in the arena is ready for the sport of violence. And Perpetua and the others are brought into the stadium, and a wild heifer is released in the stadium, and this wild heifer runs into her, knocks her up in the air, and she falls flat on her back, and she gets up, straightens her tunic, and goes and finds Felicitas, and she links arms with her. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of solidarity. These early Christians said, we don't care about class, we don't care about status, we don't care about ethnicity, we don't care about wealth, we don't care about bloodlines. If we are in Christ, then you are my brother and you are my sister. And so they link arms together and then a leopard is released into the arena. It gets more gory after that and they're finally killed at the hand of a sword. How did she do it? 
because she knew that Christ has conquered death. Friends, we live in an age that is terrified by death. Most of the violence we do to others is a violence born of the fear of death. And we're a society that doesn't want to have anything to do with death. Let's keep our hospitals away from the shopping malls. Let's keep the cemeteries on the edges of town. But it used to be that Christians would put cemeteries right there in the churchyard. You know why? Because they said, listen, we know the one who was in a tomb as well, but he conquered death, and so all of these shall rise as well. We don't look at death anymore as something to fear. We look at death, yes, this is still an enemy. Yes, this is still uh, uh, something that is tragic and sorrowful. But we know death doesn't get the last word. We know death doesn't win. And so these Christians said, good news, you can have victory over death. Gospel, gospel, gospel. This morning as you're sitting here, this may be the first time you've heard it. This may be the thousandth time you've heard it. My prayer for you is that you would hear and see the good news. Jesus has won a great victory over sin and death. He's the Lord over all. He's the king over everything. He gets the final word. You are free from sin. You can be put right and have peace with God. And you will be raised up in victory over death one day. Jesus wins over all. Amen. This is the gospel. And this is why we call it good news. And I'm so sorry if you've ever heard versions of Christianity that did not sound like that. And that's why I took us back this morning to one of the first sermons. Because I want you to hear how the people who walked with the crucified and risen Jesus spoke about the good news. It may not sound like the preacher on TV. It may not sound like the church you grew up in. It may not sound like the religion in your town, but the good news of Jesus Christ is this. And so this morning, we're going to come and receive this little cracker, and we're going to dip it in a cup of wine, and we're going to receive this as a way of remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to remember that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And this morning, if you've never let your heart believe this good news, and today could be your day. Today could be the day where you say, okay, I don't know about all of this stuff. I still got plenty of questions. Maybe I will come to Alpha on Wednesday night. I still got plenty more that I don't understand. But there's something about this news that I want to grab hold of, the God who's taken hold of you. Would you bow your heads this morning as the worship team comes and as we get ready to come to the table?